Hello, city manager. Hey. Hi. And Madam Mayor, we've started our audio sequence. It looks like all the um, participants are in the meeting. Good afternoon, Mayor Kelman, Council and Council Member Sobieski, and committee members. This meeting has been held pursuant to Government Code Section 54953. And in light of the declared state of emergency, the special meeting of the Finance Committee meeting for March 7, 2022, will be conducted telephonically through Zoom and broadcast live on the city's website. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Serge. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is a City of Sausalito Special Finance Committee meeting, the continuation of last week's meeting. Um, today is March 7, 2022. We have uh, three items today. I will go ahead and note that both myself and Councilmember Sobieski are here, so uh, we have the full committee. Um, now, uh, I think we'll move ahead and see if there's public comment on items not on the agenda. And so, Serge, if you could tell people how to make public comment, and then we will go ahead and see a show of hands. Sure. Video or audio public comment participation is limited to three minutes per speaker. If you would like to make a comment, please raise your hand in the Zoom application and you will be called upon when it's your time to speak. To raise your hand from a phone, press start nine and each speaker will be notified when the time has elapsed. Madam Mayor, it looks like we do have a speaker and that is our hand raised. It's uh, Sandra Bushmaker. Sandra, um, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Welcome, Sandra. Good morning. Good morning. I have a barking dog. Excuse me. I just wanted to know what happened with the uh, the two items that were on the consent calendar from last week. The B of A was one of them, and I, I'm blanking on the other one. I do believe Council Member Sobieski wanted them to be pulled off of the uh, uh, off the consent for discussion. Thank you. Have the same question. Uh, yeah, thank you, Sandra. Uh, Councilor Sobieski, same question. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and frame that as an inquiry to our staff. Maybe somebody could tell us what happened with those items. Um, I can say something. I thought that is a consent I, um, item, so that's why it's no longer there because it belonged to last um, meeting. But we can always put it back. Yeah, I, uh, sorry, Vivian, then, then something just got lost. I had asked those to be removed from the consent calendar item. I had some material questions about both uh, the transit okay. report and, the, um, and the, the Bank of America financing report. And so mm -hmm. I don't know that they're super urgent. We could just have them on at our next regular meeting. We don't need them Okay. Report, but, um, but let's have those on if you don't mind. Um, and, uh, yes, we can put in our next meeting. And it will be business item. Thank you. Okay. Correct. Okay, thank you for that. Any other hands to speak to uh, items not on today's agenda? Madam Mayor, I see no other hands raised. Okay, excellent. Um, I see uh, we have uh, item C, which says old business, but there's nothing listed under old business. Um, so, uh, sir, should, should we just move on to new business? Is that... That is correct, Madam Mayor. We can just move on to new business. Okay, great. Thank you uh, very much. Okay, uh, so new business. Uh, we'll go ahead and take a presentation uh, for the item. Uh, then we'll have some Q&A with staff as needed. Then we'll take public comment, and then we will discuss a course of action. So uh, item D1 is the business license tax review, and our city manager, Chris Zapata, will introduce this item. 
Yeah, and, and thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Sobieski, members of the public. I, I'll be brief. Um, this item was continued from the last meeting so that there would be ample opportunity for public input and, and committee direction. Um, what we've done is we put together the history of the measure, which happened in 2018. We've attached uh, some of the communications we got from some public members about what they believe should happen with respect to uh, this tax, uh, as well as uh, some information provided on other cities. Uh, so in, in a nutshell, what we'd like to know is how the community feels, how the finance committee feels, and what direction you want to give staff regarding uh, this measure that was implemented in 2018. Uh, and as I understand it, I was not here. I don't know any of us were in terms of the mayor and the council member, but but there was, uh, you know, the effort to collapse and consolidate streamline uh, the multiple categories of business licenses and create one or one finer approach. Uh, that has obviously created uh, some concern in certain parts of the community that have asked for the council and this committee to take another look at it. And so that's why we're here today. Great, thank you. A very helpful introduction. And I know several members of the, of the community have been interested in uh, the council looking at this more closely. Um, okay, Councilmember Sobieski, any questions uh, about that introduction or the items on the uh, staff report? Um, okay, I'm not seeing any, you're on mute, but I'm um, assuming you don't have any questions. Uh, no, no, I, I probably, I may have later. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I, I recognize some uh, voice, some uh, uh, names in the crowd here on the public comment. So, Serge, why don't we go ahead and open up to public comment uh, and let's see if uh, members of the public can share their thoughts with us. Thank you. I'm Madam Mayor, we do have a hand raised. Uh, Joe, Joe, if you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Great, welcome Joe. Nice to see you, thanks for making the time. Joe, you'll need to unmute on your end. Yes, uh, thank you very much for taking your time to consider this. I know you have a lot to do and I appreciate all the work that you do for the city. Um, what would I like to see happen with uh, the business license tax? Um, may I use a, a very low tech uh, method of screen sharing and say that what I would really like to see happen is a tax rebate of about, uh, 50% for the third category or the third tranche of, uh, of or the third tax bracket um, retroactively and forward looking. Uh, the reason my rationale is that the three uh, tax brackets that are set up uh, under measure M are uh, arbitrary. Um, the city presented to the voting public a rationale uh, for uh, the tax. And I believe that the conclusions that they reach have no relationship to the data that was presented. Um, and I think it was presented in such a way that the voting public um, did not recognize the, the disconnection between the conclusion uh, of the data and the actual data itself. I also think that um, 
it positions professionals as uh, third-class citizens. Um, I couldn't find an image that said third-class, uh, but it basically uh, uh, positions uh, professionals as, um, it, it, it's not a warm and welcoming uh, tax, let's put it that way. And then also, I think it positions uh, professionals as high maintenance. Uh, the suggestion is that uh, since we pay three times what the um, lower tax bracket pays, that we must be um, a burden on the city, uh, three times the burden on the city, uh, requiring three times the city services that, as the uh, as the other um, uh, the other tax brackets. So that is basically uh, what I think I could expand on that, but I, I know you're busy and uh, thank you for uh, taking a look at it. Thank you, Jeff. Our next speaker is uh, Wendy Richards. Wendy, you've been unmuted and have to share your video. Before you start my count, please, I would like to share the screen. Can we enable that search? Sure. Wendy, you should be able to share your screen now. Thank you. Thank you. Can you see the screen? Yes. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I totally agree with what Joe just said, and I ask you to immediately exempt home-based businesses entirely and restore equity. Measure M was imposed a discriminatory tax on residents, was inequitable, it taxed residents who earn a living without a W-2, even those entities that are not taxed by the IRS, such as S-Corps. The language on the ballot was misleading. It misrepresented to voters. There was nothing fair about it. The actual rates were based on a theory of elasticity. And the only way homeowner home-based businesses and home-based earners knew was that the home-based exemption was omitted. So they had to look for it and it wasn't there. And yet insiders, a million dollar, $1.3 million contract, Charlie Francis gets an exemption, he and his company. Meanwhile, the base tax doubled on even the smallest earners, whether you're a dog walker or you're a homeowner renting out your garage or a coffee editor, y'all pay twice what you used to pay in the flat, or flat tax. And at 42,000 a year in revenue, the tax starts going up. At 100K in revenue, you pay $300 in, for no services, and yet at 100K earnings, over 65, you qualify for tax relief at the county. 
The median, according to Yulia, is 200K. Guess what? That was a tenfold increase, a tenfold increase. That's $50 a month for no services and no notification. Meanwhile, where's the money going? EDAC, huge conflict of interest. The chair and the vice chair, Joe met with them. I met with them. We met together. He gave them all the details. He said, oh, sorry, we can't do anything. Monica, out campaigning, told me personally, Wendy, just move your business to another city. There was no link to services as claimed in the voter information. And I found documents that said the real source was industry elasticity. It's right there in the record. What about BLT relief from COVID pulled from the agenda? No public debate. How many letters were omitted from the public record? Only Sonia's letter made it. Where's Terry's letter? Nowhere to be found. Where is Lynn Keller's letter? Nowhere to be found. Where is Russ Irwin's letter? Nowhere to be found. Where is Linda Pfeiffer's letter? Nowhere. I ask you today, restore equity. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Our next speaker is Sandra Bushmaker. And Sandra, do you have your video up? Hold on one second. Me asked to unmute. There you go. Great. I'm back. <laughs> I, I just wanted to endorse uh, Joe's arguments and Wendy's arguments. I voted against Measure M. I thought it was not well thought out, and it certainly is not an equitable uh, uh, program for, for uh, business license tax. Uh, I frankly like the old system. Now, the argument is we needed Measure M to increase revenues. Well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, here's what I would like this committee to recommend to the council. I understand there's hundreds of businesses in various areas in Sausalito, including many at ICB and other areas in the Marin ship and other areas where uh, business owners do not have licenses, business licenses. I recommend that the city council adopt a amnesty program in order to encourage people to sign up for their business license tax going forward. I understand there are a lot of people uh, who don't have the business licenses in, uh, because of the, uh, the penalties that are associated with it. So I'd really like to see the council move forward on that and I'm all for equity. I liked the old system. I paid my taxes when I had my office without question. And uh, I liked the uh, ability to pay the flat fee as opposed to a percentage of my gross receipts. And gross receipts, uh, it's highly punitive to tax gross receipts as opposed to uh, net receipts. Now I realize there's issues with net receipts and how that number could be manipulated. However, uh, it, it gave a sense of privacy uh, to particularly to professional uh, off, uh, offices and uh, that's about it. But I would really like you to examine carefully an amnesty program and to get uh, vigorous with uh, once the amnesty is in place with licensing those businesses who are currently unlicensed. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Our next speaker is Pat Zook. Pat, you've been unmuted and I'm going to share your video. 
Well, um, I'll be quick. I only have, I have a small uh, and no longer operative objection. And that relates to the gross receipts issue. Um, I'm sure there are many professionals and I was one, I'm not practicing. I don't have a business in the city anymore. I've retired from it. Actually, I've moved it to another city or I didn't move it to another city. I um, closed down my office in Sausalito. Uh, gross receipts is punitive. Um, I, for example, paid consultants probably 90% of the revenues that I took in. And yet I was supposedly paying uh, taxes to the city on the basis of 100% of the revenues. I would urge you to take this matter in uh, committee and uh, come up with a couple of a few people to examine the business license tax and more equitable uh, uh, schemes to uh, restore some sense of, of uh, fairness among those people who do conduct a business in the city. I hope you'll do that. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. Sir, do I see one more hand up? Yes, Madam Mayor, our next speaker is um, John DeRay. John, you've been unmuted and has to share your video. Hello, thank you. I'm having uh, bandwidth problems, so I'm gonna stick with the audio. Um, I have just three, uh, I'm sorry, four comments to make about this. Um, first of all, an anecdotal uh, comment i was speaking to a contractor who told me he does not pay his business license tax because he says it is calculated based on work that on on all his sales revenue um and not on his sales revenue in in sausalito only so i don't know if that's true or not um but uh it's just something that maybe should be looked into secondly um in the reporting that the uh, finance department did here with this business license tax. Um, it would be very helpful to have this information um, by GeoZone. Um, uh, that was done by Yulia uh, in 2019, I believe was the last time. Very helpful if we have that done, especially since we're embarking in a process where we may lose uh, a, a significant part of Sausalito's economic engine uh, to housing. And so we'd like to uh, perhaps take a look at that. Um, the other thing is uh, I concur with what uh, Sandra said about um, collection of, of these uh, business license tax. I just uh, embarked on uh, a, probably a six month process of doing an inventory in the Marinship of, of what businesses are down there. Um, we didn't do the entire uh, Marinship, but we did a very good part of it. And what I found uh, just from conversations that is that many people down, down there don't even know that they need to apply for a business license. They deal with the landlord, they start their business in, or move their business into Sausalito and, and, and just start start going without being sent to um, to, city, to City Hall to get a business license. Um, there's probably several hundred uh, business operators in the Marineship that don't have business license. Um, and then the other thing I would check on, and uh, I brought this question up uh, several months ago um, to uh, city staff was um, a check that the very largest property owners um, in the Marinship are paying their rental business uh, license. I would imagine that they are, but you know those are big numbers, many buildings, many businesses, and they're getting all that rental income. So 
it's something I think that uh, that should be looked at. I presume it is uh, it is being collected, but um, they are big numbers and a simple check. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Any other hands, Serge? Madam Mayor, there are no other hands raised. Okay. So we will go ahead and close public comment. Thank you, everybody, for uh, those public comments. It's very helpful. And uh, bring it back up here. Um, before I inquire with Councilmember Sobieski, I wanted to see if Vivian or the city manager had anything to add. Uh, no, only that um, in the next uh, item on the agenda, Mayor and Councilmember, we do have some sales tax information that's related to specific areas in the community, including the Marin ship. So if Mr. DeRay wants to stick around for that, uh, that's some information that he's asked for that will be part of this day. Great. Thank you for that. Okay, Councilmember Sobieski, you and I both had the benefit of considering this when we were the EDAC liaisons. We've been discussing this since we both took office. Do you want to uh, start us off with any questions or, or comments? I would like to know how uh, we ensure, and I don't know who to direct this question to, that we are collecting uh, this tax from all the businesses that are actually operating uh, in Sausalito. And maybe, well, let me just start with that question. The biggest inequity is, is if some people are paying their taxes and others are not. So how, how are we sure we're collecting uh, all, the, all the businesses that are headquartered or that should be paying the tax are paying the tax? If I, if I can, uh, Mayor and Council Member, in your packet, uh, there's an attachment that speaks to HDL, who we've contracted with, to do the business license um, collecting. And so uh, you can see in their report, there's 1,648 active businesses they have listed. 1,298 are current. There are 350 delinquents. Uh, that brings in, has brought in up through February of this year, uh, $1.4 million dollars. It's projected to bring in about $1.7 million. Uh, with respect to the questions that were raised about amnesty and people that aren't paying, uh, that's probably something we want to take up with them to see if we want to um, create some more uh, attention to uh, the folks that are in the areas that you know may not be paying uh, that tax. I think that's really important. So I appreciate the public bringing that up. Uh, I heard the number several hundred uh, that's cause for concern. Uh, that's an equity question and also a revenue question. So, so we'll bring that up with HDL and see what uh, approaches they might have that could help make sure that everyone that should be paying is paying, uh, and that we look at you know if in fact people aren't paying, why that is, and what we might do to make sure that does happen. If no one from HDL is here today, sitting there. No, 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 sir. Yeah, I would love to. I think that's a really important uh, question. It, you know, our administration of this tax could be leaving money on the table. Um, and I would like to just know mechanically how it works. Um, I, I have a company that's based in San Francisco. If I decided to, um, to move it here to Sausalito to take advantage of the lower tax rate that I would pay here versus what I pay in San Francisco for my professional services firm, um, how would but decided not to report it, or how would I even get a bill to start with? Would H, how would HDL know that I was now running my company out of my house? Like, how would they ever figure that out? So, um, to me, that I'm wondering if we're if there are a lot of businesses we aren't taxing or aren't, aren't paying this tax that should. Something to look into, Council Member. 
Can I, can I make a comment on that, um, Ian, just real quick? Uh, this doesn't necessarily apply to category number three, um, but I often thought it would be helpful if we just ran a quick analysis of um, occupancy permits up against uh, business license tax. And that's a first place if you have someone who has one but not the other. Um, both CDD and finance know exactly what they need to do. And then uh, I think that'll help with some enforcement issues as well down the road. So let me make that suggestion. Again, it doesn't get to Ian's question around home-based businesses, but um, if you have an occupancy tax or permit and you don't see a business license, uh, then you know that we're, those individuals just need to receive that information about the business license. So that's, that's one idea. You know, I endorse that idea. I think because John Ray, DeRay's point, I think there could be people of very good will who simply aren't aware of this tax, never thought about it. Um, uh, and I'm just wondering how how we, if there are people that we need to let know that they owe this tax to, so they start paying it. I think uh, Senator Bushmaker's idea of an amnesty sounds like a great idea too. And uh, we should, we should uh, consider that as well for people who have not paid their taxes and should, uh, particularly if they did so without knowing that they were supposed to. Any other questions or, or comments on this? In general, you know, the I feel like there's a lot in this city that could be better, more customer friendly. And I know we're making big strides there. Uh, low hanging fruit was Heidi Scoble working as our ombudsman to help uh, take out some kinks in the permitting process and hiring our new uh, CDD director who's going to reform the office to help make uh, the whole world of permitting achieve the societal goals that we have set up for it. So I know we're trying to build this one brick at a time, uh, but I do wonder, and it's sort of maybe a rhetorical question at this point, whether we've really done what you might call a customer service analysis of HGL's interaction with the uh, business base. Um, no one likes paying taxes. I certainly don't. I have to pay taxes for our rental business here through HDL. Um, and I don't think anybody likes paying taxes. But it's certainly frustrating when you're paying taxes and you don't have um, what feels like a good customer experience. Uh, and I know, for example, this year I personally had to fill out uh, paperwork and figure out what SAICS code my business fit into. And I felt like it was that was challenging. And then when I finally filled it in online and hit submit after I put in my date of birth and everything else, it rejected my application. So I got to spend 10 minutes doing that. Couldn't pay my bill, uh, you know, sent a couple of emails, finally paid my bill. And then two months later, got a letter saying, hey, you never paid your business license tax. If you don't, there'll be a penalty. So my personal customer service experience was not top notch with HDL. And if it happened to me, I'm sure it happens to others as well. Our head of the Chamber of Commerce uh, said that she's given up trying to pay online and she just mails in a paper check. So uh, these are details. Uh, and, you know, I guess I'm saying all this noting that in, in my view, we have a lot of important things to be talking about uh, concerning the finances of the city. And these kinds of details, um, you know, are just frankly not as high in priority as as our financial management, as our pension fund refinancing, as as our budget, uh, as uh, what to do to continue to make improvements in the finance department. But they're important. They're somewhere on the priority list. But since it is on the agenda and we are talking about it, I'd say that 
we need to make sure priority number one that everyone who's paying their is obliged to pay their taxes due and i would like the tax paying experience to be as positive as possible for everyone who does pay their taxes and so we should really i think ask hdl to um you know they can use my experience as an example how do they avoid that happening to other people uh and why is it that the chamber of commerce uh, doesn't have faith in the online system uh we'd like to make it as smooth as possible Thank you for that, Ian. It's good insight, particularly since it was your own experience, you know exactly what happened. Um, okay, I have a couple of questions for staff and um, if you don't uh, if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Maybe we can note them down for a future staff report because I am gonna recommend that the council, um, this does get uh, taken to council, but there's some preliminary questions I think that need to get worked through. So um, the city manager reported that we're projecting $1.7 million in business license tax in 2022. Um, forgive me if this was present somewhere, but I didn't see a breakdown per category. And so in this particular instance, we're talking about category three, the service professionals. Um, I'm very interested to see what percentage of that 1.7 million is from that, that area. Um, the second point, and I'll make it again on item D2, but um, we previously had a very robust geo zone analysis um, performed by HDL. And what we have today for this analysis is not nearly um, as robust. So I'll resend that analysis to staff so we can get the, literally the exact same thing they've done for us in the past. Um, the third thing I made a point, um, one suggestion is we just need to run some data, um, occupancy tax, pardon me, occupancy permits um, and business license tax. And if there's a gap, that is a low hanging fruit for both finance and community development department to remedy. Um, I'm also interested in seeing the comparison to other cities. Um, there was a suggestion, I believe, in Mr. Caldwell's materials that's attached to the staff report or to the agenda uh, that Palo Alto might be a good example. And so I'd be interested to understand what some other neighboring communities in Southern Marin are doing. Um, I also was uh, struck by Wendy's comment that we are taxing um, certain brackets that are otherwise exempt under the federal code or by county. So I would really like to understand that better. And I think what was mentioned were the S-Corps and then 65 plus. So I'd like to just understand that and have achieve a consistency. Um, there was a statement around uh, that the assumption was that the median uh, revenue was $200,000. And I just wanna validate that um, for 2021 and project to 2022. Uh, and then there was a comment made about um, whether this was calculated on all sales revenue, not just that in Sausalito. And I thought that was really interesting um, because collectively this is about the gig economy and working from home and things have changed and um, many people may never go back into an office. And so I think we need to give this a good hard look as to how we want to carry this out in our community um, moving forward in a post COVID era. Uh, and then I also just wanna call everyone's attention. Uh, I think it was Mr. Codwell's attachment. He had uh, two, or three requests. The first one was to altogether remove the tax on home-based businesses. Um, and that I think is a policy argument because the argument there is that the city provides no services in return. Um, I think that's an interesting argument. I don't know that I fully agree with that, but I think from a policy perspective, it's worth noting in a future staff report, we should have an analysis of that statement. Um, uh, the other request was to reduce the tax on service businesses with physical locations in Sausalito. I think that was a sort of the same policy argument. 
And this is the document that referenced uh, Palo Alto. So I hope that staff will take a look at that attachment. Any, um, I know I went through it kind of quickly, although that was that was my version of talking slowly. So does uh, staff have any questions for, for that list? Um, well, thank you, uh, Mayor and Council Member. All the things that uh, you laid out, um, you, you distinguished between what was policy and what was just generally good business practices. And so uh, what, what I believe we will focus on is, you know, what does our contract with HDL cover? You know, how are we providing customer service? How are we collecting? How are we notifying? You know, how, what are we missing? And what might be opportunities to uh, find uh, ways to collect uh, what the measure called for? Uh, that to me is straightforward and that's something staff can do. Uh, and we should be doing that uh, because as you just mentioned, Councilmember Sobieski, uh, we are in a time of uncertain finances, whether it's the pandemic, our pensions, our infrastructure or other things. So every dollar matters. So we should focus on that and do it in a way that makes sense. And if there is things that are amenable to this committee and the council, such as some type of amnesty program or something, uh, we can look at that as well. As it relates to the uh, eight or nine things that you laid out uh, in addition, uh, Mayor Kelman, uh, I think that the key thing I need to know is uh, you're a committee of two, uh, the council's a committee of five. Uh, is this what you want to bring forward to the council with some of those iterations that are in place as a committee? Yeah, I would say, um, and of course, welcome Councilor Sobieski's input here, but uh, what's lacking here or the opportunity here is for staff to make some recommendations um, with some alternatives based on citizen feedback, which was the goal of today's conversation, uh, as well as our current financial status and ability to enforce. Um, so I would, I would like to see that from an insider's perspective, meaning from within the finance department, uh, how that impacts um, our collection. And, you know, like I said, if we start with what percentage of 1.7 million is divided between the four categories, I don't have that information today. So it's difficult for me to really understand um, the full breadth of this issue. So let, let me see if I can restate that the question. Um, so uh, we obviously have some work to do uh, with ourselves and with our consultant and with some of the businesses in our community. Um, and, and that to me is pretty straightforward and we should report on what those outcomes and um, what those initiatives uh, bring forward in terms of improvement. Uh, I think what I'm really asking is, is this something you wanna see on a city council agenda? Uh, or do you wanna see this come back to the finance committee with some of that data you asked for or are you saying let's advance just the conversation on whether or not there's a policy position to move this in a different way other than what was agreed to in 2018. Yeah, it looks like Councilor Sobieski, you're on mute. Oh, sorry about that. Um, well, I think there's some mixed bag here. I mean, we have a uh, obviously a moving target on the dynamics of our city budget and our revenues and our expenses. And we are getting a grip on all that and trying to make improvements. So I'm not categorically opposed to the concept of looking at the revenue side of this whole equation. Uh, uh, my focus heretofore, and I thought all our focus was on the expense side and trying to get both a handle on our expenses, correct budgeting of our expenses, proper financial management, um, good projections. We have labor negotiations coming up. Uh, 
we have this item of uh, can potentially refinancing our pension obligation. Um, all those things, timely and super critical. And by timely and super critical, just to pick on the last one, I don't know if everyone has been paying attention to uh, ten -year, the 10-year Treasury bond, but uh, it's gone up 50% in the last six months. So this is on our watch. This is on my watch. In, 50, in six months, it's gone up 50%. We've refinanced our, we may not choose to refinance our pension bonds, but if we do, if we, if we wanted to, and we did it six months ago, we pay half the interest that we would otherwise pay. Um, this is a big deal. So I know you can't perfectly time the market, but I do feel like we need to prioritize first things first. I can't help but reflect on the reality that the business license tax does have different percentage charges for different categories of businesses. Um, but still, a million and a half dollar top line business in a professional services firm pays $4,500 in tax in Sausalito. Uh, if you cut that in half, it'd be 2250 So it is a, it's not zero, and certainly I'd rather have $2,250 if I could have it than not. But when I'm trying to think of how to prioritize everyone's time and especially staff's time, I just feel like we need to pay attention to the most important things that are mission critical uh, first. So I am reluctant to uh, assign this to ourselves and to staff um, while we still have these other things that we financially need to focus on. Um, I would like to say a few things just in recognition of Wendy Richards and, and Mr. Caldwell's point and the comments of others, but I, I would like some time to talk about that separately rather than speak too much at this moment. But that's my own feelings. I do think we should prioritize what it is we send the council and what we ask staff to spend time working on. Thank you, Councilmember Sobieski. Um, yeah, really great, really great points. And, and I think that in terms of prioritization, perhaps what's uh, missing here is the business license tax within the larger uh, financial context. And we've pulled it out to evaluate uh, the equitable nature of it, but we also need a significant update on how it fits into the overall uh, financial projection and, and forecast for 2022. And so um, perhaps that's, that's the right opportunity to revisit this. Now, that said, um, there are a number of measures that we have taken on that include permit streamlining or an ombudsman to help businesses uh, within Sausalito. And so for me, I put this within that bucket and that does in increase its priority in my eyes for reviewing this. Um, and it also, I think, is a quality of life uh, question because it, it involves people who live in Sausalito, not just work in Sausalito. And so I give it um, more attention, even more attention, because it's both businesses and residents uh, within one. So um, I guess, Chris, your question specifically to us is, uh, do you wanna see it back or does it go to, go to council? Um, and, and perhaps a compromise here is to bring it back here for further uh, community dialogue, but also with some recommendations from staff rather than taking up council time and having a full on uh, report. And so that, that feels like a compromise uh, solution. And I, I welcome Councilmember Sobieski's uh, input on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to keep talking about it. Maybe we can open up more time 
for uh, Joe Caldwell and Wendy and anyone else who cares to actually iteratively talk with us in public about this. Um, I'd be open to having a back and forth about tax equity. I've never seen a tax system that's fair. I challenge you the only one that is. A flat tax where everyone gets taxed the same. Is that fair? We long ago decided it isn't. We have a progressive tax system in this country where you pay more depending on how much you earn. Mm -hmm. Is it fair that you only pay 20% on your capital gains, but if you're a laborer, you can pay 35% on your on your incremental labor hour? Um, I hate gross receipts taxes. It's nutty, right? You should pay a tax on your net income. Oh, but wait, just like what, what uh, Sandra Bushmaker said, there are ways of of uh, businesses not to have any net income. Uh, if you have real estate and you take into account depreciation, you get to expense your uh, your capital expenditures, you can wipe out your net income. You have no net income. So I don't think this is a crazy schema that was put before the voters. Uh, these rough categorizations of three categories isn't perfect, but basically in category three, you have what are generally higher margin businesses. Not perfect. If you were, as one of the speakers said, I think it was Pat Zook, she had a business where she outsourced a lot of things. And so in her case, she got unfairly pulled into a category where others would have had very high margin businesses. If you're a solo practitioner with not a lot of subcontractors, then your million and a half dollars is all to your bottom line. You made a million and a half dollars this year and you're paying $4,500 in tax. If you were maybe, to pick on Pat Zook's example, someone who outsourced 80% of your top line you pulled in a million and a half dollars, but you sent out 1.2 million and you only made 300,000 and you still owe $4,500 in tax. Yeah, that's not really fair. But if you went to a net income approach, well, then you'd have to require everyone to submit their basically a tax return, which is a super invasion of privacy. And you'd have some businesses like real estate firms that don't pay any tax. So I defy anyone to show me a system that withstands scrutiny and is going to be judged as equitable and perfectly fair. You can always make things better, I have no doubt, and I'm always open to that. But this um, stridency and this presumption and the use of the languages like equity and discrimination, I frankly think is way over the top. This is a reasonable effort to take a previous system that had many, many categories and make it simpler. And it passed by, more, by I think, two-thirds of the voters, Sausalito. So, I'm all for taking a look at making things better. I mean, that seems like what we always want to do. Uh, but to me, it's an incremental thing. And there may be a fundamental disagreement. I think, I think there's fundamentally a problem that the same business that would rent an office on Caledonia Street and have to pay tax could avoid that tax by simply not renting an office on Caledonia Street and working out of their home. I think it's a problem to create an incentive for someone to take an ADU in the back of their house and instead of renting it to a resident, do their home business there uh, and, uh, and avoid paying a business license tax. Um, I think it's a problem to make the perfect the enemy of the good. So I'm all willing to make the good a little bit better, but, um, but I think I might have a fundamental disagreement with the presumption of, with some of the language that's used in this discussion. So that's all way of laying the, you know, being honest and open and inviting, you know, continue the discussion here at this finance committee. And I'd be happy to lift the, you know, with the consent of you, Mayor, to have more than three minutes and let's have a robust discussion in public about it if we want, as long as you want. And, 
And I'll say all that by also just noting what I said before. It's like, while we're talking about this, interest rates have gone up uh, a substantial amount. And, uh, and some of the other priorities that we could have been spending time on are becoming more expensive. Thank you, Councilmember Sobieski. Um, I like your idea of having a future meeting with a more robust time for dialogue and, and maybe some back and forth. Um, I would say my main takeaway is the need to have a continual um, holistic view of our city's finances and understand where opportunities are in, in revising policies and um, continuing with certain policies. And I think what we learned today is that there are some outstanding facts and there's some gaps in our knowledge and under, understanding. And the reason I think it's important to remedy those is because there is, um, I think, an assumption that's worth tracking down that, that not enough thought was given to this. Um, and I think that hits on your, your point. And so I welcome staff to dig in um, a little bit more and uh, per some of the direction we gave and we'll, we'll bring it back and continue this conversation uh, with additional information uh, in our hands. Does that sound right, Councilor Sobieski? Yeah, I mean, I, I, all for continuing the dialogue. I do want to, as I, you know, I think it's inappropriate to take it to city council to when we have other things that we need that are more urgent. Yeah, and we, we I think we're in agreement. We're not going to do that uh, at this time. Okay, uh, Chris, is that enough direction? Absolutely. So, Mayor and Councilmember, what we heard is we have work to do on our end to continue the conversation. We need to bring HDL in so we can speak uh, to them about what our agreement calls for and what their duties are, how we, uh, you know, make sure that the collection and the customer service is what it needs to be, or uh, if there are issues with it, we fix those. Um, if you have some specific questions regarding uh, how we uh, fine tune that, uh, we need to look into those. And then we need to continue to get public comment. Uh, you know, we received uh, letters from Mr. Caldwell, they were incorporated. But if there are other things, as I saw uh, some of the community members provide, I, I would encourage them to send those to myself and Vivian so we can keep, keep those and put those into future conversations. And that way, you know, try to understand uh, all the positions that are out there so that um, the policy direction forward is with everyone's thoughts. So I think we're solid, thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. And thank you, Councilor Sobieski. Very helpful comment. Yeah, I would love to just put in a plug and maybe Chris can speak to this. Um, you know, this HDL, just this little feedback loop, maybe they could be on a future call if appropriate. I don't know. Uh, it would just be great to know how they think about customer service and about the user experience. You know, when I go to, um, when I go to some stores after I'm done, I get an email that asks for, you know, whether I'd recommend shopping at Target to my friends on a scale of one to 10. And of course, I didn't get that from HDL. And if I did, they would learn that I had a tough experience. And they may have actually reached out to me to say, hey, why'd you give us a one on a scale of 10? Uh, right? I mean, that's a way of really feeling like we're partners in all this. And I'm wondering if that could be in the scope of HDL's engagement um, with taxpayers uh, so that they don't feel like they're uh, dealing with the post office. Yeah, you know, um, they have come to other meetings and they've been very helpful. And I think it was the October 2021 meeting where, um, I can't remember his name, Adam from HGL, but uh, Chad from Ride Bailey was present and we had a really great conversation. And there was a lot of action items that came out of that and I haven't seen any of them executed on by HDL. So uh, I do think it is worth following up with them. And then I also just resent uh, to uh, you, Chris and Ian and Vivian, 
the GeoZone uh, document from 2020 that we had asked HDL to um, reinvigorate for 2021-22, which they had not done for this meeting either. So I, uh, let's get them let's get them to join us next time. Good idea, Councilmember Sobieski. Okay, so on that note, um, we're going to move on to item D2 because uh, it is all about HDL. So Chris, I don't know if you have some preliminary comments you'd like to add there. Yeah, if I can, um, you know, uh, as we start to work toward uh, fine tuning our numbers and our budget um, so that we can figure out uh, how we're doing at present moment, uh, what we're trending toward in this fiscal year and um, how we build our budgets going forward. It's important to get this kind of information uh, from uh, HDL. And as uh, many of you know, uh, the, the information provided by HDL for specific businesses is proprietary. And so when you see the report that's provided on Sausalito, it's alphabetical order, the top 25 producers. And it's important for folks to say, well, you know, City, tell us, you know, how much, you know, Clipper Yacht Club, Yacht Club paid or, uh, you know, that's, that's not what we can do. That's not what HDL can do. So it's obviously put into some um, aggregated form. The second part to take away from the report is uh, although sales tax are up, in, in particular in the, um, the restaurant sector, uh, they are, are not pre-pandemic. And so when you see the information that speaks to uh, sales tax being up in Sausalito, uh, that's you know, either year over year or prior quarter, et cetera. But, but we are at a basically flat uh, rate in terms of projected uh, increases in our sales tax. Uh, we, we know that, you know, that the sales tax projections that we're looking at that encompass this year are less than they were, you know, a few years back. Uh, and it's quite uncertain as to where we will end up with this stuff. So this is a point in time that, um, we want to provide, uh, some data to you. Um, and, and obviously one of the things that you, you want us to do more of is the geo zones, the geographic areas that. Uh, are you know of interest to the community in particular uh, you know there's some question about you know where the businesses are you know what they generate who's the biggest area of, in, of sales tech generation in the city and and it's pretty clear from the information in the packet that it's the marine ship uh, the marine ship um, which has over 330 businesses uh, generates about a million dollars in sales tax a year which is significantly more than the other areas in the city in terms of sales tax and uh, so I think that's a starting point for you, Mayor. Uh, we obviously can do more and we will with them to kind of uh, build that out somewhat. But we wanted to give you just a general snapshot of where we thought we were headed with uh, our budget and sales tax and you know property tax, which is gained, but you know obviously is stable. Uh, TOT, which is gained significantly, but from a pre-pandemic level, you know, where are we? And, and that doesn't account for the two years, the three years of this pandemic where you've lost revenue that you'll never make up. Uh, so uh, even though it sounds like things are better, uh, I would I would say that's, that's good news, uh, but relative to what? And, and I think that's the real distinction that needs to be made uh, with respect to our reporting. And, and I wanted to clarify that, make sure that you heard that from me. Uh, Chris, a couple of questions on this uh, attachment one. Um, the July, September, 2021. So I guess my first question is, uh, why don't we have something more recent? 
because when uh, the um, the uh, information that is received from the franchise board uh, lacks, because that has to be audited by a number of different people, and by the time it makes its way to the point where it's ready for public dissemination, it's been baked and cooked, and so it will always lag. Uh, and you know, um, I think um, that's that's a little difficult for folks to understand. Uh, but uh, you know, once we get through November, December, uh, uh, the next quarter, uh, you know, they need to have some time to calculate, get the numbers, and then put it into the format that you see. Okay. I mean, this is just lying two quarters, right? I mean, we don't even have Q4. I would expect to see Q4 at a minimum. Um, I understand, you know, okay. So I, I think this is behind a quarter. I, I Notwithstanding your explanation, this feels like it's still... Okay. Um, my second question, uh, do you know, can we get more granular than these major business groups? Um, so as an example, you know, autos and transportation, well, you know, as far as I know, there aren't a lot of car sales in South Sudan. There's some, um, there's also uh, auto um, mechanics, right? I'd like to actually understand um, boat sales, uh, boat services, maritime related. How do we get more granularity that is better suited to understanding this particular community? Uh, you know, I think we can we can do some of that. Again, I caution you on the expectation that we have to be careful if, let's say, there are two people that sell boats and we give you an aggregated number. Mm -hmm. and someone can make some assumptions about people's businesses and, and that's not what we can do. Uh, if there are, um, you know, a lot of car dealers or a lot of boat sellers or a lot of restaurants it's easier to get into, you know, some data, but when there are smaller groups of businesses, it's a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I, I can ask uh, HDL uh, specifically. You're looking for, you said more granularity. Um, yeah, these it, buckets are really big, and I don't know if there's if you could give us the subset of some of these buckets, or mm -hmm. you know what what's included, and then you know more more micro data. Yeah, we can try for sure. Okay, um, and then again, another ask would be, I see the top 25 producers. Can I get the top 50? Can I you get, get the top? The top <laughs> you, can get, you can get the top 100 as long as they're alphabetical. Yes. Okay. Um, and then uh, top non-confidential business types. So then this was confusing because then that didn't track to the sales tax by major business group. Um, and I'm looking at two different ways of sorting the data. I would just like some consistency around that. And again, more granular. So the chart on page one has mm -hmm. different buckets than the chart on page two. Yeah. We can work on that, Mayor. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilor Sobieski, questions? I had some of the same questions you had. Um, and it was the only additional one I had prepared was about our use tax. It's the, the sales tax from the state of California for online purchases, where does that show up in this uh, report? I'm gonna ask HDL to give us that information, council member, because I don't have it. For me, I mean, I, I'm very interested to know the trends of, uh, about, uh, of our use tax. This is the tax people are paying for online purchases, which uh, was amazingly resilient during the, not surprisingly, during the uh, mm -hmm. 
during the COVID uh, pandemic, and uh, it will be, um, I think, an increasing part of our factor in our thinking about the city to understand that distinction. Yeah, I will tell you, Councilor Sobeski, in that October meeting I referenced, one of the, my main pieces of feedback to HL was trends. Um, I wanted to see the macroeconomic impact of different events. I wanted to see it over time, three to five years, so we can start to adjust uh, and move forward. But when I see these tiny snapshots, it's hard for me to fully understand uh, and help protect the, protect the future. And I think, um, I mean, just riffing with you here, Maris, you might want to iteratively, iteratively with HGL really come up with a standard template for the, the camp. KPIs that we'd like to see around the sale, around all our taxes actually, really, which is just good trend information as you're just highlighting. So we can understand the distinctions and your your request for granular groupings um, as granular as possible is really you know laying the groundwork for that, just to really understand what is coming from where and how that's changing over time. Um, but I think we need to be maybe really clear so that they don't feel like we're just moving the goalposts all over the map, uh, exactly what it is that we're looking for. And I, I don't know that we need consensus on the on this call necessarily here right now, but we might take it as homework to um, offline interact with HGL just to be really clear and, and not burden staff with trying to guess what we're talking about and just be really specific. Yeah, good idea. I, in the back of my head, I feel like months ago, I might have generated something like that. Um, but that might have been for Ide Bailey, so I'll, I'll go back and, and check and run it by you. Great. Okay. Um, all right, I think that's it for questions for now. Let's open up the public comment. Serge, do you see any hands? Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised for this particular item. Okay, so public comment is closed. Uh, Chris, what action or guidance do you need from us? Uh, no, I think I got it. You need to bring HDL here. Uh, you want to see more trend analysis. You have some specific questions about what they can do. And I think this melds into the prior item, the prior topic of, of you know, auditing business licenses and how they do that. So it sounds to me like we need a, a real conversation with them. We need to make sure that our contract with them is analyzed to see what services they do provide or don't provide. Make sure the committee, the community has that. And then uh, see where we go with trying to make this right better. Great. You know, related to that, I would just love to know whether the, the extent of this confidentiality requirement. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that there is one, but first I'm just wondering if some businesses might be willing to share. Um, but also just categorizations, are, are, you know, I think what we're interested in is we'd like to really understand, for example, how much revenue does the maritime industry bring in the Sausalito? It's a straightforward question, but it's hard to answer because by geographic zone, you can you mix Molly Stones in with uh, Clipper Marina, and um, and that throws the numbers off. And if you um, do it by category, you it, it can it, some of the categories aren't granular enough. So let's just see here: we got boats slash motorcycles as a category, um, which you know I guess we don't have too many motorcycles in South Seattle, so maybe in that case it's boats. But if we did it, it certainly would mix two things that don't necessarily um, give us a lot of information. So this might be a little bit on us to be clear what categories we're actually looking for. And again, Mayor, we might try to uh, make sure we're, sh we're clear on what categories matter, but we might design some categories that, you know, if 
the help of the Working Waterfront Coalition or EDAC to figure out what categories are actually germane to the questions that are being discussed by various people in town. And instead of asking HDL to figure out the categories, why don't we come up with some categories? Maybe we can even put this to EDAC, um, through which HDL could then keep their confidentiality requirement and still re report out information that's useful. Yep, I, I'm all for that as well. Um, and that'd be very helpful. Anything else or other direction? No, I think I heard you say you want to see HDL. You have specific questions that need to be conveyed to them about what their service can be, how granular they can go. Uh, you know, I point to the one document that they did give us regarding these geographic zones and sales tax revenue. And, you know, there's a trend from 2011 to the current year. And, uh, you know, it speaks to Marinship Inland, Marinship Waterfront, and then other places in the city. But on the bottom it says, do not copy or distribute without authorization. So again, that's kind of the yellow light flashing, uh, telling us and telling you that, you know, there are some restrictions. So uh, they obviously uh, allowed us to get this out there and what it is uh, that they, they can provide uh, that's by um, your request that's uh, appropriate, you know, they should do it. So we'll bring them back. Yeah, and Chris, I would just add attachment five, sorry, I was finding my notes, um, talks about secured and unsecured property taxes. Uh, I think it'd be helpful to have an explanation of that and then why that's important to be called out. Um, on attachment six, um, the TOT projection, I rem reminded myself that I had asked HDL to run TOT alongside sales tax over longer periods of time so that we could actually see our people spending more money when our TOT goes up. Is there a direct correlation? We assume there would be if more people are renting hotel rooms that more people are spending, but I would like to see the data on that. So that was an example of a, of a macro trend we were looking for. Okay. Um, there was a, sorry, there was one more thing. Oh, and then I just out of curiosity, um, so Vivian, I assume that you uh, you manage HDL now. I had seen a, to uh, Councilmember Sobieski's prior point that there had been an exchange at the end of last year around the sick number and how it um, this the process of filing for your uh, business license tax uh, paused and you had a um, kind of a little bit of a runaround to find the right information and you had reached out and they they told you Josh Davis was our guy at HDL and I never saw kind of a follow-up. And so my main just question there is how how closely is staff working with HDL? I mean, it's a big contract. So I just want to make sure we are to just repeat that we're getting the best service out of them, the most out of them we possibly can. They have a lot of data uh, that would be really useful for us. Yes. So, so like uh, Chris already said, we, we might need to uh, have a schedule with HDL to discuss about our service agreement with them and what should we do to improve all this customer service and everything. Yes, we need to reach out with them and talk about that. Okay, great. Okay, uh, I think that's uh, enough on D2. Uh, thank you everybody for that. Um, if I don't see uh, any other comments, let's move on to item D3, which is our last item today. Measure F, so Vivian, Kevin, and Lauren. Yes, okay, uh, hold on. Let me put my slide up. Yeah, let, let me provide some, um, well, Vivian's doing that. Let me provide some information to that. Uh, so um, this was requested by uh, the finance committee to bring in front of the finance committee. 
is my recollection. And so in order to research this, um, there were questions about, you know, what measure F was for me, and now I understand it. Uh, obviously, it was to improve our park system, and, you know, what was spent with measure F funds, and, you know, we provided some accounting for that, which was around $11 million. And then the question was, you know, how was this uh, looked at by the community? And there was a citizen oversight committee that uh, met multiple times in 16 and 17 to provide uh, that service or that uh, oversight to staff and the council. And then, you know, the question about, you know, if we had uh, a $7 million or so uh, certificate of participation uh, uh, pot of money, and we spend it at the four parks, and we spent $11 million, where did the additional $4 million uh, come from? Uh, and so in the, uh, some of the information that we were able to, to pull up from 2016, 17, 18, uh, there was significant information about uh, those sources of funding, which included our sewer fund, uh, which included our storm drain fund, which included our general fund, which included some other grant funds as well uh, to get to that number. And then, you know, I, I was made pretty clear to me that um, all of these improvements uh, have been well received by the community. But the question then becomes, you know, how are we finished yet? And the answer is almost. Uh, we still have some touch-ups to do. And, some of the parks and obviously uh, we're doing that as we speak, but, but you went to the community uh, with an improvement of your infrastructure that's related to uh, community service and parks and you spent about $11 million improving them. So uh, kudos to Sausalito for organizing uh, that type of um, voter initiative for getting it passed and then for uh, actually uh, supplementing that money with other pots to make sure that you got the improvements uh, to where you said they would be. Uh, so I have uh, a great appreciation for Parks and Recreation and certainly for uh, infrastructure improvements. So I just want to say that was a, a pretty heavy lift by the community and they should be thanked for it. Uh, but we should be able to answer questions about, you know, the amount of money we spent and why, and that's what we're going to try to do today. Thank you, Chris. Uh, just a point of clarification. You said a $7 million certificate of participation. I think there were $5 million. Uh, 7.2, I believe. The yeah. total was 7.2? Yeah. And then um, th was the requirement of the Citizen Oversight Committee to meet um, uh, past 2017, 2018, or just for a one or two year period? I think it's only up to, I think the last meeting is some, sometime in 2017, if I remember correct, correctly. Well, that's when it, the last meeting occurred, but I'm, asking, I'm wondering, was the mandate to have continued meetings? I don't believe so, no. Okay, uh, and is there a presentation? So actually what I want to say, Chris already did. Um, well, I want to share my screen anyway. Um, hold on. Can I share my screen? Screen, screen one, two, uh, yes. Oh, no, uh, not that one. Okay, can you see my screen? It has not launched yet. Pretty, um, there you yes go. or no? Yeah? yeah. Okay, so um, uh, a little bit background about Maslow F. Um, on November 3rd, 2015. So it already passed by the um, voters, which is, um, you know, request a CVOP for... Uh, 
7.2 million to improve uh, all these four parks here, Robbins, Winnie Park, Southfield Park, Dunphy Park, and the MLK site. As of uh, January 16, 2022, um, the expenses so far is 11 million. And like uh, Chris always said, uh, we only have 7.2 7 million from Metro F and, and that's 4.5 million from all other funds. For example, from Metro O, from um, uh, general funds and from grant funds, as well as community donation. So my next screen uh, will be, let me, Put my next screen over here. So here's my um, financials about um, National F. As you can see here, the total cost um, as of January 16 is 11.7 million, but Metro um, F only provided 7.2 million and 4.5 million of this 11 million is from all the funding sources here, include 86,000 from um, from uh, um, community donations. Vivian, we're only seeing the the uh, the staff report. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I thought I put it up. Hold on. Need to go back here. Where should I go? Ah, maybe problem here. I don't know how to go back there. Mm, okay, new share. Let me know when you see it. Oh, yeah. So to see the staff report. Oh, I don't know. Okay, let me stop share and start again. Can you see it now? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry about that. A little bit. You had it for a second there, Vivian. It disappeared. Now you're on mute, Vivian. All right, let me share my screen again. Okay. We do see that. All right. Let me repeat again. So the total cost as of January 16, 2022 is 11.7 million, but of this amount, only 7.2 million provided by Measure App. 4.5 million provided by all the funding sources here, like Chris already mentioned. And I want to mention that uh, community also provided $86,000 specifically for Southville Park. And um, here's the financial. If you have any question, um, Kevin and Lauren also here to answer any question you may have. Well, I guess I go ahead, Councilor Sadowski. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I have my comprehensive list of questions, but somewhere in here I did want to ask uh, about. Well, I guess it feeds off of this chart. So, 
I understand that at the time that Measure F was passed, there was not a um, detailed uh, budget for all these improvements that, um, that that came sometime later. But I still, um, that from this chart, can't understand sort of the, um, the timing of the cash flows to these various parks and when additional um, monies were allocated to finish the jobs. And I just uh, qualitatively wanted to understand um, how much we kind of got halfway through building something and then were compelled to spend more to finish the job versus having the freedom to incrementally continue improvements. In the first, former case, we're kind of compelled because you can't have a you know half-finished park. Uh, I mean, you can't, if you tear up all the ground and it's all dirt, you're gonna to want to like put something there. Whereas if you're you know building from one side to the other, uh, then, then of course, when you run out of money, you could stop or choose to spend more money to keep going. So, I'm not sure if that's entirely clear, but maybe, maybe uh, Kevin understands my question if, if he's the right person to ask. So, that's the one thing I'm missing from from this chart. Not knowing the time. Thank you, thank you, Council Member. I uh, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to answer that because it takes some history behind when this was originally started. And so I wasn't here when the certificates of participation started, but it's my understanding that several of these projects were initially bid, and I'm gonna give Dumpy as the example. The Dumpy was originally bid um, prior to my time here at Sausalito, but it was bid out and the bids came in too high. And so the city rejected the bids at about, um, even Lauren might be able to add some context to this, but uh, it came in way too high at $6 million, let's just say. And again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. And so the city rejected the bids and then they reduced the scope of the project. However, there was always something um, behind that of wanting to complete the entire park project as its whole unit. And so we're still moving forward with that as it stands. So I think council member, if you're asking were these, um, were these funds really anticipated to cover everything? And I don't think that was the case that we were kind of cutting some of the projects into different pieces, as you can kind of tell from Southview Park where the landscaping wasn't even included in the original bid project. And so the idea was to try to save a little money by getting the main wall work done and then coming back later on to do some of the other work. Um, I'm gonna see if Lauren can, if he's still here on the call, if he can add some context to that. Lauren, are you still with us? Hi, Kevin. Hi, everyone. Uh, I am. So uh, yeah, there, you know, I'm looking myself back and trying to find some old staff reports, but um, you know, the, 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 I, you know, speaking for Dunphy, which is the one I'm most familiar with and was involved in, you know, there were reports that were given to the council uh, at, you know, called out the different funding sources for these projects and, and there were regular updates. So that's the one I'm most familiar with. I can take a look at that. There were, in fact, uh, you mentioned Southview. Uh, that was, you know, there was a landscaping portion that was left out of that and the, you know, kind of the internal conversations that we had you know, that would be something that we could work with. Uh, Sausalito Beautiful, our own staff, in order to install that. So we did not include that item as a uh, item within the bid process um, with the intention of, you know, finding other alternatives to, to install that. So 
going back into Robin Sweeney, that's going back uh, a number of years at this point. But again, you know, lots of the same conversations of, you know, we had a certain funding source that came from the COP, which was augmented by, you know, accessibility upgrades, uh, ADA accessibility upgrades. Um, in the case of Dunphy Park, storm storm sewer improvements and also accessibility. And so that's where a lot of these pockets came from. But I'd have to go back and take a look at, you know, council updates and things like that. But I do know that at least for Dunphy, you know, we did have uh, tables that showed, you know, here's what we um, have at this point, and here's what we are looking at in terms of funding sources. If that is, Lauren, I maybe let me try to ask a question your way a little, if I might, since we're still looking at this table. Just wondering if the language in line 23 is correct. It says over budget. So I understand that it costs more than was supplied by Measure F. Um, but where, what was the budget? When was it made? And and what was it actually over budget? Or I understand Measure F only supplied $7.2 million, but were the projects over budget? And when was the budget made? And who approved the budget? So so I, can I say something on this? So on line 23 here, uh, I put over budget because that's the term used from a previous template, but actually this line here just compared the uh, year-to-day cost to the Metro app um, uh, uh, allocation amount. So it's not really, uh, the budgets may, may be different on what Metro app here. This line just compare the actual cost to the Metro app amount. I'm just confused by the languaging here, and I think it can create misunderstandings. Um, there's, a, I know, a controversy around that measure F because there are people that were opposed to that way of raising money to do this public infrastructure work. Um, and I feel like that's a fair political discussion to have. Um, there are two other big issues here that I think are relevant. One is, was measure F money collected as it was supposed to be, and was it spent correctly. In, in other words, was it spent on what it was supposed to be spent on or was it spent on something in that it was not supposed to be spent on, like, I don't know, trips to Tahiti? Uh, or was it spent on actually making the parks better? That's one oversight function that I think would be, if we're going to have this on the Finance Committee agenda, it seems like we should be very clear about whether or not the money was well spent. And by all accounts, it sounds like, from what I've read so far, that all the money was, in fact, spent on the parks. Um, but we don't really have a document that says that in this presentation. Um, the use of the term over budget, you know, kind of in, in putting it in the red, you know, especially emphasizes this idea of how do we manage our public works projects in this city? And do we do it as well as we could? Um, this is saying something's over budget when, in fact, what you just said, Vivian, is it's not over budget this amount. This is just how much more the project cost than measure F uh, raised, um, but that there was always an expectation that those numbers would be different. But there was somewhere a budget, and I know for sure with the toxic dirt from Dumpy Park, at least that part of the spend was probably over budget, or maybe not. Maybe that came from delaying other improvements in the parks. So there's a separate question of how do we do our public works projects in the city and do it well. And that's a really important question because we're talking about um, measure spending measure O money to improve the quality of the infrastructure here in our city. And we need to do that in a way that stands the test of time, that not only improves the infrastructure, but takes care of its maintenance over time, correctly amortizes the cost of that maintenance, um, 
we can either choose to conservatively or aggressively uh, budget in terms of unexpected expenses and figure out how we manage our spending. And that seems to be a separate discussion. So um, I kind of, this whole topic of calling this topic Measure F to me is a little, I'm not sure what we're talking about. We're talking about how the monies were administered for Measure F. Are we talking about how, or are we talking about how we manage our public infrastructure projects here in town? Uh, and you know, are there some policy choices to make there, which I, you know, I think there are about how much we get, how much we are um, optimistic versus pessimistic in our budgeting and scheduling. And so I always would like to separate these topics, um, at least for the record, uh, but I look for guidance from the mayor and, and from my, yeah. uh, my colleagues, um, if any of that makes any sense. Yeah, I think I can help on, on all of that. Um, so uh, unfortunately, the Measure F flyer uh, did not get included on the agenda as an attachment. And I think that's really important. And so um, I, probably some question about why I wanted this on the Finance Committee agenda. And I wanted it on for all the reasons you just stated, as well as to let the public know we're, we're not shying away from full transparency. There were questions about it, and we're here to work through them. and look at this publicly. So the Measure F flyer, which is a representation to the voters, has specific numbers. It says Robin Sweeney needs 1.2 million in repairs. It says uh, that Southview um, has identified 1.2 million repairs. And it says that MLK has identified 3 million in repairs. The only one that has kind of a moving target is Dunphy, where it says more than 1.8 million in needed park upgrades. And so what happened is that the community had an expectation that those numbers specifically put into the flyer for the ballot measure as prepared by the city would be adhered to. And so there's a lot of questions as to why they we were so over those numbers. So was that budget? I don't know if that was official city budget, but that was what was put into a public document and, and shared. The other reason that this came up and I wanted to cover it um, it was because uh, in the audit that we saw last year, and again this, this year as uh, items that had been remedied, there was a question about reconciliation of funds. And one of the reconciliations was a $5 million uh, Boney Mellon account. And that was earmarked as COP money. Um, when we took office, that money was still sitting uh, in the Boney Mellon account, which begged the question of how did we pay contractors for these Measure F COP improvements? Where did it come from? And I think those are the two questions I think that the community really would like answers to. And I see this all as lessons learned and the opportunity for people to hear us talk about it and move forward in more even, even more transparent, even more rigorous manner. But that's the context. Yeah, makes sense. So what that second question is very interesting. You reminded me that you brought it up once before. So what's the answer to that question about the $5 billion in the Melvin account? I couldn't oh. say with the, with the answers myself, but I'm, I'm sure that either uh, I, Bailey, or uh, Vivian could, not right in the moment, Vivian, but uh, now that you are made aware of that. I think we're saying the same thing, Merritt, which is just that there, there's the, um, well, actually, now you brought up a third thing. See if I can summarize it. One is, there's just an, you know, in our role of oversight of the flow of monies, uh, there's the question you just pointed out about providing oversight of the flow of monies and where's this five million dollars um you know if it's still in the account why how do we spend all this other money on the park so that's interesting uh, but unless i'm mistaken i don't see that directly addressed in any of the paperwork here 
it's, it's not, it's, and it's been reconciled, Councilor Sobieski. So I just am curious that when we cut checks to contractors, where did that money come from three, four years ago? I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, but so it has been reconciled. It has been as part of the audit. Okay. Um, and then the second question is about just how do we do public works projects, which I think we all want, you know, we're going to have many more coming down the pike. We want to make sure that we estimate well and, um, and spend and decide how we how we're going to spend money. And I'd love to hear from Kevin about that, and um, and maybe have it. And wondering if we should have that discussion here or, or where we should have that discussion. I don't know if it's is it finance committee or is that the full city council when we talked about CIPs and our approach to infrastructure. We we did it at the last city council meeting. I'd love your perspective, Mayor, on what you think. Um, you know, how do we how are we going to do estimates? How are we going to uh, assess for maintenance uh, of the capital improvement projects we we spend money on. Yeah, I do. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's a much bigger uh, question and topic for the full council. But but that said, if if Kevin feels prepared to address that as it pertains to lessons learned here, I, I welcome his input. I'll just make it quick for the group because I know there's some who want to talk about this issue. From as far as an estimating perspective, um, I look at it as a progressive. Uh, progressive steps to finally get to a point where you know how much you're going to spend on a specific project. In other words, when you start with a CIP, Capital Improvement Program, those numbers are really, really rough. And so what I am hoping to do is add a, a, a contingency into those estimates so that they are generally, they generally can cover the cost of things. Because at the time when we list a project in the CIP, we have no idea really what we're getting into. And a good example is dumping. And then as you move forward in the development of a project and you move towards the design phase and then to the construction phase, that estimate becomes tighter and tighter so that your numbers get a little bit better by the time you bid. And that doesn't mean there could be changes. As we see in most of our construction projects, we see that there are changes necessary in the field. Those are called change orders. And that's why we have a contingency in the construction budgets when we award them. So again, it's a progressive, um, kind of a progressive estimate to get to the exact amounts. You can't really know exactly what you're gonna spend in the very beginning because you haven't even started them. So that's my my rough idea at this point, And I'll turn it back over to the council member and mayor. So Kevin, um, how good are we at? Are estimating. Is there a way of assessing that? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm laughing, I'm giggling a little bit because on some occasions I do pretty well. On other occasions, I don't do well at all. In other words, I'll estimate something and I could be way off topic. So it's, uh, it, it, I would love to get a lot better with this and have an estimating firm with us for our capital programs. But in general, that should happen at the um, at the bidding phase. So the best thing to do in my eyes is to add a pretty good sized contingency at the CIP phase so that you allocate enough money to cover things. Right. But um, what, I mean, I know you've been in other municipalities. Um, when you, are, there, are there processes that are more conservative, more aggressively conservative, more lax in terms of making estimates? Um, or, I mean, is there best practice and kind of a knob you can turn uh, to, for instance, 
increase the percentage of projects that will come in under budget? I mean, if you arbitrarily just doubled every every item, I suppose that would arbitrarily increase the number of items that came in under budget, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so and, and, is that a best yeah. practice in your world to um, be conservative by, by adjusting a sort of safety factor uh, aggressively? Yeah. Council Member yeah. Sobieski or, or Kevin, if you, if, you know, I can, I can talk a little bit um, given my history since I've been here for a little while longer, if that's okay. Um, what, you know, what, what I have seen done in, in kind of a couple of different cases is you know, when we did the um, police station, we came in, uh, you know, significantly under budget on that project. And part of what you know, was done on that project is, you know, series of estimates done at different phases of the drawing. So there were um, many, many iterations of the budget as we learn more about the design. Uh, that takes up a lot of money. That costs money to, to have um, those firms do that. But, you know, that was effective. And, and we were able to really kind of figure out what, you know, that number was going to be when we went out to bid. Um, but you can spend a lot of money on the front end trying to figure out what things are going to cost. Um, but until it goes to the marketplace, you don't know what that number will actually be. So you can spend a lot of money trying to figure out everything before um, you go in and, and then, you know, see what happens when you go out to market. And we have done that, you know, since the time I've been here, we've gone out on certain projects and we have gotten estimates on them and use that as a basis for going forward on projects. You know, so there, I don't know that we have a, um, a policy. A lot of what we've done is kind of taken a look at what we have and um, gone forward based upon what the what the market is going to uh, suggest, um, but we can also, you know, take a, a, you know, an approach where you you spend a lot more money on the consultants before you get to that phase, um, uh, before you get out to the bid to try to figure that out. And it's just one of those balancing acts where you're trying to, you know, use as much money as you can on the project itself. Um, and, and you know, you're still going to find things that you didn't anticipate, or you can try to spend a lot of money on the front end before you start the project, trying to figure out all the things and still not know that you're going to get everything. So I've seen it done both ways in, in the city of Sausalito where we spent a lot of time on the front, uh, trying to get those estimates, narrowing them down as we learn more information and also things you know, where we've said, you know, let's, let's try to move this project forward. Let's get this going. Let's see what the market is going to cost now. Thanks, Lauren. Just um, since you're talking and, and you've had more history here, um, then on this slide we're still looking at here, um, that line 23 that says over budget, which I, I guess in, is there a budget, is there a way we can add another line? I think what the mayor was pointing out is that this is the amount over what was advertised in the, in the um, ballot initiative as the identified costs for the various parts. So was there an actual budget for those parks though that was done? Well, first off, the question is, was there a budget done that was part of that ballot or not? And well, let me start with that and then I have a follow-up question. So yeah, I, let me answer that one, Lauren. So when we go to you folks at the city council to ask to award a project, that is when we solidify that budget for construction or even prior to that, when we go for a design firm where we solidifying that piece, the design, to me, that's when the budget gets, is, is more um, precise. Lauren, go ahead. Right, and I would, I would you know, add to that, that you know, looking back just now on some of the Dunphy Park estimates that, or the Dunphy Park staff reports that we had, um, there were presentations you know, to the council saying, 
Um, these are available amounts of funding that we have, and these are how we're going to, you know, break out the, the deliverables of the project. So, you know, I, I can look back at, at Dunphy and see that we had numbers um, and, and, and updates to the city council about you know, where the money funding sources were coming and, and how that was going to relate to the actual you know, construction and how we were going to pull that money out. So in that particular case, I know that for Dunphy Park that there were updates on, on, on that project. Um, so, you know, we had, when we first went to the council, I think that one of the very early ones said that the uh, um, project was, you know, in the mid to high 2 million, 3 million range, I think is, is, is that area. So um, that's the answer to that, is that I mean, we for Dunphy. I guess it's still, it would be great since, I mean, this is a public record, it's a public document. I feel like it's, it stands to be improved by correcting cell A23. I mean, that's the amount over just to what the mayor said. That's the amount over what was advertised in the flyer. And I would, and I would agree with that. I mean, that, that the, the term over budget, um, does, you know, implies that, um, it, you know, that somehow it was, that it was over budget, um, when in fact the number for, you know, 1 million, eight, you know, 1 million, 800,000 for Dunphy was, you know, clearly inadequate to do all the things that we wanted to do for that. Yeah, but that's not the end of the story. It would be great to then also have, you know, when were the budgets made and how were they revised? I mean, if we're going to have this sort of historical document, and I think that's useful because it kind of can start to, you know, answer the question of how good are we are, are on estimating. And, you know, we can't just look at the parks alone. Um, fire stations, another example, and all our other public works projects. So if we're going to do both a trans, if we're going to build confidence in the community about how we're managing our public works expenditures, part of it is about um, accuracy and forecasting and actual track record of performing against um, forecasts, uh, estimates. So um, we don't have, we have a lot of lines on this graph, but what we don't have is any retrospective of what the various budgets were at different times. Um, and therein, I presume there will be some, well, maybe I should presume that there's over budget, maybe, maybe simply again, reallocated 800k to removing toxic dirt that you could have spent on on more trees um so we just have a less nice part because of the toxic dirt that didn't come in on the budget or maybe we spent more money but i i still don't have the history there um about what actually happened yeah let, let me pause this um let's take public comment i see kevin you put your hand back up lauren your hand is still up let's hear from the public and then finish our conversation we have we end at two um i'll, I'll just say i wanted to make a distinction between um, kind of remedying and rebuilding that trust based on something that's been advertised in the community and then the reality that is different um, from that line of inquiry, which is an excellent one uh, around how good is our budgeting uh, and forecasting around capital improvement program. So um, two separate issues, though, in my mind, one is policy and one is finance. Uh, and I just want to recognize that. So let's just pause for a second. Let's take public comment. Um, maybe we can stop sharing the screen and then Serge, if you can uh, I think it was Pat, Sandra, and, and Jan. Madam Mayor, yes. Our first uh, speaker for this item is Pat Zook. And Pat, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Okay. Uh, I see me. I we see, see you. We see you. Um, I'm not sure that it's wise to relitigate this issue uh, on its own merits. Um, I was there, not necessarily in the room, but in the next room when this was developed, pitched, and passed. Um, 
as I have said to Ian at the time, the only project for which there had been any budgets built or bid, not even bid, was uh, Robin Sweeney. And uh, that came in, that was done in 2011. There were not, to my recollection, other estimates other than spaghetti thrown up against the wall, as in let's spend, you know, $3 million. Well, MLK did have, did have some analysis done to it. There was a, actually extensive analysis of the status of that, of that complex. But, uh, you know, Dumpty and Southview, it was, well, let's, let's have a party. Uh, I think looking forward is more important. And it's much more important because uh, you can now set the standard for actually having budgets or analysis done and making it public. I don't think you'll find any previous budgets anywhere in the record, number one. Uh, but by the way, I'm really impressed with this this documentation here nowhere for years have i been easily able to lay my hands on what was spent in each park uh what was originally pitched to the voters and what ended up uh costing i'm really pleased to see this and i hope you put it on the website uh if you want to get rid of the over budget number and call it funds in excess of that which was pitched to the voter <laughs> that would be fine with me um Looking forward, this project and others of its nature where we have gone out and borrowed long-term, granted yes to pay for long-term capital improvement projects, I think you need to be careful what you wish for, please. Uh, we now have a 17-acre site, which is uh, somewhat tangled up with paying off these COPs, which would have been uh, maybe more flexibly available to the city for perhaps other purposes. Uh, there are many other projects coming down, one of which would be the pension refunding. Do we really need to fund, borrow money and fund uh, whatever it is that you're thinking of doing? In this instance, interest payments alone came up to about 25% additional costing. Uh, I don't think we want to do that in the future, but I am a conservative and uh, others may not be. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. Well taken. Appreciate that. Sandra? You're muted, Sandra. I know. I've hit the unmute about three times. <laughs> now my video's off. Okay. Let's try again. Just a minute. I'm trying to get my video off. Okay, here we go. All right, here's here's how I see it. The $7.2 million was pitched to the voters. The total project costs are $13,664,000. Of that, $2 million is a cost of the certificates of participation. First of all, I would like to see a breakdown of those costs uh, rather than a lump sum. And we have $92,000 to go to finish the parks. So I think that when you present those kind of numbers to the public, they're going to scratch their head and say, wait a minute, we allocated $7.2 million for the park. Why did we develop projects? Uh, Senator, you've gone out now. 
I think I know what she's going to say. I do too. <laughs> what? What am I hearing? Uh, we, we, you missed us. You said uh, we developed, why did we say $7.2 million, but develop a project and that's where you dropped off? Yeah, developed a project that costs $7.2 million. In other words, why uh, do such extensive projects when you've got, you know, the limits of your funds? And I would like to see that used as limits to the funds. Yes, occasional cost overrides do happen. But in this instance, it's $7.2 million versus $13,664,000. That's a big difference between the amount allocated and the amount that it's going to, the total project costs. So it seems to me that as a policy matter, when we ask voters for money, we should develop projects that fit within that amount of Sandra, you're, you're out again and, and doing a complete uh, renovation. If, oops, can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, God. Can you hear me now? We can. Okay. It must be the internet. Um, so in other words, uh, let's, let's stay within the amount of money. Uh, let's develop our projects to fit within the amount of money that we're asking the voters to spend. But that a million dollars. My Sandra, people don't like to hear. Sandra, I'm going to redid uh, Southview Park, and that was uh, 20 years ago. So, with less than 20 years ago, when this Measure F was passed, Southview Park is redone, which begs the question for me about he develops a strong. Can you still hear me? Uh, you know, it is going out for the most part. Why don't we pause you um, if you maybe just reboot or something and we'll, we'll go through the other comments. Serge, why don't we go to Jan and Ray and we'll come back to Sandra for another minute or so. Great. Our next speaker will be Jan Johnson. And Jan, you have been unmuted and has to share your video. Hang on, video is coming up. Hi, um, I've got several questions and then I've got two comments. Um, one is when will Southview Park be finished? Two is where is $100,000 that the local community donated to landscape that? I was told it had been given to Parks and Rec. I'd like to know that it's still earmarked for the use it was intended. Um, Three is how are the COPs repaid because I'm too stupid to understand it. And then two comments. Having just spent $13.6 million on these parks, I strongly feel that they should not be including on housing element potential sites. Or we have just thrown $13.6 million into the bay. And the second comment is I just cannot bear the thought of not speaking plainly and saying that these were over budget. We were told $7.2 million and the city spent $13.6 million. Quit saying it wasn't over budget. It was horribly over budget. And it's a testimony to the historic mismanagement of this town by the previous city manager and previous city council members. None of you here on this meeting 
are responsible for it. I really appreciate what you're doing and the information you're providing, but it was over budget and it was mismanaged from the outset. It was a political ploy to get votes by the city council that foisted this upon us and pushed the passage of the measure. That's all. I, sorry for the rant, but you can't double budgets in the city and expect us to not think it wasn't mismanaged. Thank you, Janet. By you. Thank you. That's it. Oh, but I would like to know where that hundred thousand dollars is. Is it still there? Has it been used for something else? And when are you going to plant Southview? Yeah, thank you. You know, I'll have the city manager respond to both the Southview Park completion date and the donation, uh, which is accounted for on the um, spreadsheet that Vivian showed us. But Chris, you want to comment? Can, can I say something? Please. Okay, so, so far the city only received, uh, I mentioned that there, there is $86,000 uh, from community donation, but the city only received about 60000 of that 86000 because uh, Sosa, uh, Sosa Little Beautiful promised uh, $26,500, but they haven't given us any check yet. They keep saying, oh, we're going to give you a check, we're going to give you a check, but we haven't received that. So far, so roughly $60,000 we have received from the community donations. Thank you, Vivian. We, we, we don't have $100,000. I, I don't know where he, I mean, she got that number, but uh, from Tom Riley, if I remember the name correctly, uh, the total we receive is uh, about 86000 Thank you for that clarification. Thanks for that clarity. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> yeah, on, the, on the completion side, Kevin can answer this better than I, but uh, we're shooting for the end of April. Kevin, you want to speak to that? Yes, sir. He's, uh, Chris is correct. We are shooting for the end of April. We have a couple things to do, and that's finalizing the landscape plan as well as the irrigation plan, getting approval from MMWD, getting a contractor on board, and some other things as well. Thank you, Kevin. Right, let's take one more public comment uh, and then we'll uh, close that and get some more comments from Kevin yeah. if he still has us. Mayor, the other piece was the wall, working on the wall, the wall component of the park. Okay. Madam Mayor, we do have two hands raised and that's yeah, Ray Whitley and Senator Bushmaker. She's back. Um, Ray, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Yeah, hi there. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome. Yes. Um, I'm going to quickly go through a couple of things. Uh, uh, I was on the city council and was one of the faces of Measure F. So if all of you there on the phone, on the call, want to uh, point fingers at someone, here I am. Now, um, I think there's a couple of things to first of all remember. I don't always agree with Pat Zook, but in this occasion, I think it is helpful to, for us to look forward rather than back. There is a couple of things, though, Ian, that I need to sort of, so that you can understand. You keep asking a question about where was the budget. Um, first of all, the number of 7.2 came from work with um, public works who gave their best estimates at the time as to what each of the projects would cost. And that turned out to be close to the maximum that we could um, raise anyway with the um, 
uh, particular credit uh, limit that we, credit line that we had at the time, our financial advisors would allow us to. Um, otherwise, it would have really hurt our credit rating. So um, they were estimates. There's no question that Pat is correct on that. It's not surprising. We had the best numbers for uh, Robin Sweeney Park. And guess what? We only went $300,000 over. That's because we were much closer to the mark. Um, with Dunphy, it was a nightmare. You know, it was a real nightmare. And for some of these um, parks, the scope of the projects were changing in part uh, by the community pressure. So if you want to look for a budget, I went back and started doing this. You've got to read about 15 different staff reports. Because what you will find is that in each budget cycle, the CIP was budgeted and the current estimates for what that particular project would be. And so the approval of that budget was therefore in that particular budget year. And each one differed. Throughout 2016, when we suddenly emerged that at that time, Public Works had not really included much soft costs into any of the estimates. So there we suddenly realized we were going to face with cost um, overruns over the COP numbers. And so the city councils in 2016, 2017, 2018, through to actually up until now, at each budget cycle, have been having to revise the budget, approve the budget, and sometimes they get got redone in mid-year budget cycle, um, just like you're going to do with Measure O um, shortly, uh, for instance. So that's where you're going to find your budgets. Good luck to you. Compared to what you are actually suggesting, is this something a high priority um, for staff, considering what's on their plate? To use your previous argument, you know. Um, I realize that people want to relitigate measure. Right. I'm, I'm right sorry. Now, you need to move forward. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate friend. that. Um, okay. Uh, Sergio, will you please give Sandra her last minute to finish her comments? Sure. Um, Sandra, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. I'm not going to share my video and hopefully my computer won't cut out or the bandwidth will, will still work. Um, but anyway, uh, the point that I was making is when you've got when you ask the voters for $7.2 million, let's develop projects that fit within that $7.2 million rather than expansive projects that go uh, in the attitude, with the attitude that we can always go back to council and ask for more money. So uh, the other uh, item that I was making toward the end is that, and I don't know how much of this you heard, but uh, we redid Southview Park uh, when I was on the council, which was between 98 and 2002. And uh, I was shocked to see it being redone again. Um, and which begged the question for me as to what happened to our maintenance program. And so that I hope that part of our discussions going forward is to always include a maintenance program as part of the quote budget for the particular project. Uh, because we're spending money, we're not maintaining, we're spending more money downstream. That's how it looks to me. Thank you, Sandra. I, I, thank you very much. And Madam Mayor, there are no other hands raised. Thank you. And, and thank you for that. And, and sorry to cut off our last two speakers. I just want to make sure everybody has equal time um, for today. I know it's uh, a very interesting topic. So uh, we have five minutes left. 
Um, Kevin, you had had your hand up. I don't know if you have anything more you want to add. I'll just say that I appreciate this transparency and this disclosure. I think people have had questions for a long time. Um, I think this enables us now to look forward and move forward um, as both Mr. Withy and Ms. Zuck have stated. So I think this is a, a good opportunity for us and hopefully some lessons learned. And um, as we move forward, I'm sure Kevin, you will have other insight for us. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. I share those sentiments exactly. Uh, a couple things to bring up that when we re when we redo things, we have to bring them up to code as well. So you've got accessibility components. You've got other things that have to be addressed. So maybe those weren't originally contemplated when that ballot um, when Measure F came through. And um, I think Pat Zook was right as well. You can tell by that chart that Vivian brought up that the additional costs came up. Um, after Robin Sweeney, which kind of makes sense in that the full details weren't really known of what we needed to do for Dumphy or for uh, Southview Park as well. So uh, all good comments. And I just want to thank everybody, including the public. Uh, always appreciate some insight. So thanks so much. There is a policy choice in their discussion there that Sandra Bushmaker highlighted around the notion of because they call, in Congress, they call it pay go, uh, pay as you go. And I'm wondering to what extent, Kevin, um, in our public works projects, we're able to um, control cost overruns by adjusting project scope. Uh, if you're replacing a, uh, a sewer line, it doesn't do you any good to replace three quarters of the sewer line and call it a day just because you ran out of money. You got to replace the whole thing or none of it. Um, but if you're paving a street, depending on the street, you can actually pave two thirds of the, of the lane. And, and if you run out of money, that's where you stop. So how do you think about um, expenditures where you do have discrete control, where you have continuous ability to mo uh, monitor expenditures against progress versus having to? I'm, I'm sorry, Kevin, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, I'm just cognizant that if the city attorney were here, she would Tell us we're starting to push on some other okay. topics that are not on the agenda. So and I, I don't. Our, I thought our public works way we were doing it was very germane to this whole measure draft discussion. Sure. And I'm willing to devote the next three minutes to it, but I do think it's a much longer uh, conversation on that. But it's a little, it's a little uh, moving over, but it's a great conversation. I just don't want to give it short shrift and it deserves, I think, the entire uh, council's uh, input on that. Kevin, you want to give a, a, a quick response on that? Yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, council member, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Uh, but we do do that type of thing already where we have bid alternatives within our bid itself. So we'll bring a project to the council ready to award with additional alternatives in there to say, hey, do you want to put in the basketball court? Do you want to do the, uh, uh, the volleyball court at Dumphy? And it's going to cost this additional amount. So we try to do that ourselves by bringing it to you. And you're absolutely right. Some projects like sanitary projects or a new building by itself, you're stuck with a certain certain cost. You gotta go forward with that if you want the building. Otherwise, one um, projects can be reduced in length and size as well. Right. To me, this the only reason to have this topic on the finance committee at all, Mayor, was to talk about exactly this. Cause like when, when the bullet train for California was built between Modesto and Merced, that was a tricky way of trying to get the whole thing built by building it between two cities that didn't need high-speed rail. And uh, there's a tricky way to get infrastructure projects done by 
by starting to spend money and then if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound and there's a more transparent and controlled way of doing it. And to me, this is, you know, the whole reason to talk about this, the only reason to talk about this is to really kind of as a community get on the same page about how we're going to spend our money and, and what transparency means. So um, I don't know when we can talk about it, if it's at the CIP or not, but to me, that's why, that's what this topic is really about. It's not as much looking back as trying to be clear what we're doing when we're moving forward. I appreciate that insight and I appreciate you you bringing that up. I think it's an excellent point. And uh, I will uh, look at the city manager on my screen, hope he catches my eye and know that uh, I would very much like to have a more thorough conversation about this topic. And I appreciate uh, Councilman Sobieski mentioning it in this context. Okay, so with that said, uh, we are at two o'clock. We are finished with all of our uh, items. Um, so I will suggest that we adjourn. Okay, thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah.